Pleased to welcome in your boy Q, good friend of mine, good friend of the podcast. This is third appearance, man. Welcome back. Glad you're here. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me back. It's a it's a different year. Uh, Baylor football. It's exciting as always, but it's definitely a different year. So uh, glad to be back to talk with you about it. Yes, sir. Well, hey, before we dive into Baylor football and and the good and a lot of the bad that's going on right now, uh, tell my listeners, dude, you've you've not only gotten a promotion there at sixteen sixty ESPN in Waco, but you've also you're on the radio in Las Vegas now covering the Raiders. Man, tell you told me a little bit at the tailgate a few weeks ago, but tell all my listeners what you're doing now, bro, because you're doing some cool stuff. Well, I'm just staying busy. That's that, and that is cool, especially in 2020, man. Staying busy is the key because if you can find a way to stay busy you're doing something good so uh yeah i mean 12 to 3 espn central texas daily uh host a show with ward whites and uh, steven simcox unnecessary roughness uh that's a lot of fun you know we cover everything of course baylor but we cover everything and have a lot of fun uh on the daily and i just kind of got thrust into that position uh due to the kind of weird year that's been going on in 2020 but just you know just kind of did what i had to do but uh with the with the raiders like you mentioned as a big raider fan and i do a a, a locked on raiders podcast on the daily uh the 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 kind folks in vegas thought it'd be a good idea to get me on the radio there and so remotely i'm able to do a show every afternoon from 2 to 4 p.m their time 4 to 6 p.m central time but uh, i'm able to do that uh and just talk raiders for a couple hours every day and uh, i think that that's really cool it's giving me a good opportunity to meet a lot of people and talk to some people that i might not have been able to talk to and uh, it's just, like I said, just a good opportunity, man. So it's very busy. Uh, I, again, do the show from 12 to 3 here in uh, Central Texas, and then all of a sudden 4 to 6 p.m. Uh, in Vegas. But uh, it's cool. You know, like I said, as long as I'm staying busy, it means I'm doing something positive. So, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a lot of fun. How's that phone call go, man? You, you answer the phone, and, and it's Las Vegas wanting you from Waco to talk Raiders football there. Dude, how cool is that? But, like, how does that phone conversation go? Well, it was crazy, man. Uh, I actually got hit up on Twitter. You know, a couple of the guys hit me up on Twitter and were like, hey, man, uh, we like your podcast. Can you come on and do, like, 15 minutes, like a little phone interview with us? I was like, yeah, no problem. And so I did a really good job on that, apparently. And they said, hey, you want to do it next week? And I was like, yeah, that's cool. And then they invited me on to their show for a week weekend show on Sunday morning uh, it was a couple hour show and they're like well you know if you just want to be a co-host that'd be cool of it you know just for the day or whatever and I'm like yeah that's cool uh, I'll try see what I could do and then all of a sudden they, they finally hit me and they're like hey man we just want to have you on all the time now and uh, I was like all right you know and so uh, they, they thought well does that fit your schedule that you have there in Central Texas and I said well we can make it work so uh, we were able to find a way to make it work, and it's been it's been a blessing ever since. And so, like I said, you, I stay busy. Please believe I stay busy, but I, I think it's a good thing. Well, we thank you for coming on with me for just a little bit. I know you are busy, and uh, and Raiders looking pretty good this year, man. They got themselves a team coming together. Yeah. Well, you let Barfield know if he needs somebody to host a Baylor show remote from El Campo to hit me up. That's awesome, man. We're we're really happy for you. Well. Um, Kind of a bummer week. I said this right before we started recording, but I was hoping we would get to talk about Baylor, Oklahoma State. Obviously, Oklahoma State looking like they might take the conference title, at least early, and and Baylor uh, struggling a little bit. But no game, man. COVID. Dude, what do you talk about when you host a show in Waco right now? Here, tell me this. Um, I don't know how many callers you take per afternoon, but what is like the vibe around Waco when it comes to Baylor football and the multiple canceled games and all of it, man? Well, you know, I mean, everyone's still excited and fired up by Baylor football, as you could tell by the tailgate that was going on, even though there's minimum fans at the game, there was still uh, plenty of people walking around the stadium and plenty of people out there in the tailgate area. Uh, the thing about it is, man, everyone's got to roll with the punches, you know, and, and nothing is guaranteed week to week. We can look up and down the schedule and say, okay, this is what I expect week two, and this is what I expect week three, but we just don't know. I mean, look at their their you know non-conference games. They didn't get to play any, you know, and so that was one of the biggest hang-ups uh, with Baylor was okay well what are you going to do you know what are you going to do with your 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 uh you know you got a brand new coach uh bringing in a new scheme got a brand new staff and all, all of a sudden you don't have any real warm-up games and luckily for them their warm-up game was Kansas uh that worked out really well even though you know you just again you didn't know going into that game I thought in my mind that Baylor was gonna just run them out of the McLean Stadium which they did but at the same time I thought I don't know man it's COVID-19 you never know. Maybe Kansas is a little bit better. Maybe some crazy things happen. We saw some upsets happen. So I'm like, man, 
you just don't you don't want to take any team lightly. So anyway, they did what they were supposed to do against Kansas. Obviously, West Virginia was another animal playing in Morgantown, but um, yeah, it's just it's been a weird vibe. Everyone's still very supportive of the of the team. But it's just so curious. They want to see. They want to know what this Larry Fedora offense is going to look like. They want to know, uh, is Charlie Brewer going to be better than he was in, in Morgantown? Was that just a one-off thing, or, or is that a product of who they are? But I will say the defense is something to be very excited about. You know, what I've seen them, them do in two weeks, uh, the two games they've been able to play, the defense has been solid, man. And that was one of the questions coming into the year. You know, they lost a lot of guys defensively. Phil Snow's gone. You know, how, how is Ron Roberts going to take over? They're kind of switching their scheme up. Are they going to be able to fill that void? The only guy that we really think is, is a dog coming back maybe is Terrell Bernard because he was the one who made all the headlines. But they got some players, man. They got some players on that defense. Uh, William Bradley King is a guy that I really enjoy seeing what he can do getting after the quarterback. Raleigh Tejada, I feel like he's just growing and growing as a corner. Um, there's there's some dudes, man. They got some guys, uh, you know, getting after getting after it defensively. And so I think that that, at least where I'm at right now, and when I talk about Baylor football, that's kind of my my go-to is like, okay, the, the defense is holding their own. They're giving Baylor an opportunity to win every game. They gave them an opportunity to win that game in, in Morgantown. They just didn't do it offensively. They turned the ball over multiple times. They didn't take advantage of it. So how do you turn that into points? How does the offense get better? How does Charlie Brewer get better? That's where it really, you know, where it goes to. Can the run game get going? Can Tristan Ebner get going? Can, you know, can John Lovett get going? Can the offensive line get better? And then, of course, COVID-19 hits, and it's like, oh, my God. You got all these players out. You got all these staff members hit. You got to start over. And so it's almost a start and stop type situation. It's like, tra- like rush hour traffic. And I know people in Waco don't really have rush hour traffic, but think about L.A. at like prime time. You know what I mean? Like it's rush hour traffic. It's stop and go, stop and go. And unfortunately, right now it's at a stop. Man, you just brought up like 15 talking points we could hit. I, man, let, let, hey, let, that's what let, I do. We'll start po- <laughs> that's right. That's right. Hey, we'll, we'll start positive and then work towards some of the, the rougher stuff. Let's talk about that defense, man, because you're right. They look awesome. And despite only returning two of 11 starters, they look like they have not missed a beat. And obviously that was very intentional, right? You go hire Dave Aranda to continue the same identity Matt Rule built of defense first, hard-nosed, tough competitive football team and and you're right man and and I'll mention uh a a guy you didn't mention Jalen Petrie you know uh obviously a fan favorite because he was the lone recruit who stayed through some of the turmoil but also I mean kind of going from what you think of as like a C player to like all of a sudden like a player is this a elite pass rushing you know defender like just killing it out there um man tell me about how much have you gotten to talk to Coach Aranda? I know you're in the local media there, but also COVID and also. Um, how much have you hung out with Coach Aranda or spoken with him? And uh, beyond just the fact that he's a defensive guru, um, what are your impressions of him as a head coach? I've asked a lot of people this, but it's still fascinating to me because because of COVID, I feel like we still don't really know the guy. Right, no, and you don't. I mean, you just know what you hear from him. And I think that a lot of people have different impressions of Coach Aranda. Me, personally, I like him a lot. And the reason I like him, is because one he's 100% different than Matt Rule and I'm a big Matt Rule guy I really like Matt Rule a lot I mean I'm supporting everything he does in Carolina wish him nothing but the best he was a great coach but I like the fact that coach Aranda could come in and be different and still be effective and still be good and I think that he's going to be and look we've only seen two games so we still it's the the jury's still out on how good he's going to be as a head coach but the jury was out on Matt Rule until he had a really good year really good seasons you know and and then obviously he's gone now to the NFL but Uh, I think Coach Aranda, when he talks, this is the one thing I've learned through COVID. When he talks, I feel very confident in what he's doing. You know what I mean? He he talks with the calm and, and, and sense of, as a matter of fact, he's very detailed. You know, he slows it down for you. Not not slows it down where you're dumb and you can't keep up, but he just slows it down. He's very, uh, as a matter of fact, and I, I always walk away from every conversation that we have either by way of Zoom, or actually that's all it's been is by way of Zoom, just very confident in what he has going. And I feel like he gives the players that calming sense as well. Like, yeah, guys, this is not ideal. This is not ideal. We haven't had spring practice. We haven't done this. We haven't installed everything. But it's going to be all right. We got these guys, got really good coaches. You guys are really good players. We're going to set ourselves up for success, and we're going to be a really good football team. And I feel like he can make those guys in that room, when he's talking to the team, walk away and say, yeah, we're going to be all right. We're good. We're a solid team. 
That's what I really get from Coach Aranda because he's so uh, uh, attention to detail when he talks. And and like I said, that calming, cool. Some say will say it's boring. Some say, "Oh, I'm not entertained by his conversation or his the, his approach, uh, the way he he responds to answers." You don't have to be entertained by the way he talks. All you got to do is be entertained by the way he coaches and, and what he does on the field with the team. And I just think that he's a a guy that you feel very confident uh, about. Uh, leading the troops and so that that's really my biggest takeaway from coach Aranda uh, from what he's been able to do so far yeah and I mean people come out like and attack his demeanor as if it's a negative just because it's different and it's not the high energy I mean we had between Bryles and Rule you had two guys who were very high energy extroverted outspoken you know passionate and uh you know just but very different they were still very different though Oh, for sure. No doubt. No doubt. I mean, unquestionably. But my point being, everyone just saw Randa's and his quiet as, oh, he's shy or, oh, but you're right. It's it's more like, it's more like, no, I've got this. Yep. Like, I have got this together. I don't have to be a rah-rah guy. I'm going to install my game, inspire confidence in my players and go win football games. I absolutely agree with you. You talked a lot. Of, well, you talked a little bit about the offense just not being able to take advantage of of a great defense in Morgantown. And Morgantown, I mean, always been a tough place to play. Baylor almost feels cursed every time we go out there. But but yet it has to be discouraging when you you know I think everybody's expectation is you've got Charlie Brewer back. He's a winner. You've got Larry Fedora coming in. Oh, thank God, we're not going to have this this boring, right, Matt Rule, uncreative, pro-style thing. We're going to spread it out and go back to the Bryles days. It's going to be awesome on offense. And then you watch what happened in Morgantown, and you're just scratching your head. I've got specific questions for you, but you just tell me first your general takeaway on that offense um, and what you saw in that game. Well, I think that games are, are won, uh, any game, any any football game is always won in the trenches. And offensively, the trenches aren't right. You know, the offensive line is not where it needs to be. They want to establish the run. Larry Fedora wants to use John Lovett. They want, he wants to use Tristan Ebner, not only in the run game, but the pass game as well. And they just weren't able to get going on the ground, you know. So they're not a threat on the ground. That means that uh, you kind of take away the, them as a threat altogether. And, you know, Charlie Brewer, uh, a lot of the conversation going into the season was he's going to get the ball out of his hands really quickly. Well, through two games, I haven't seen him get the ball out of his hands really quickly. I've seen him running for his life. I've seen him, you know, holding on to the ball, trying to make plays happen, which is the same thing he did in the Matt Rule era because, well, the offensive line has been a struggle. It's been a struggle for years on top of years. And really, Bryles never had a great offensive line, but he, he found a way to make it work. His offense really, I mean, you only needed to be a good offensive line for a, a hot second when it was pass protection. And then as far as the run game, it was it was good enough. They were spread out and, and they had the, the runner, running backs were really good and dynamic to be able to see the little crease and hit it and then go. So, I mean, he really used it to his advantage. Plus, he had some dudes. I mean, he had some players on that offensive line. Don't get me wrong. But... Uh, it's been a struggle, man. It really has. And so I think that that's where the most improvement needs to come from. Uh, Charlie Brewer needs to get into a comfortable, comfortable spot where he can, he can, uh, you know, throw the ball comfortably and be in that in, in the, in the backfield with the ball comfortably without having to run around and save his life. And, and that's just, that's unfortunate because uh, we all know from watching Charlie Brewer, he takes a lot of hits. And if he takes, continues to take hits, man, that's just, that's not good for him personally. And so I'm just hoping that they can shore up that offensive line, get it back where it needs to be, and uh, give a heavy dose of John Lovett. Give a heavy dose of Treston Ebner. I'm expecting Treston Ebner to have a really big season. We saw what he did against Kansas, but then we saw what happened against, in, in Morgantown against West Virginia, and it wasn't much, you know. And the, the Seals brothers went in there and did their thing. Uh, they're really good uh, and, and, and uh, on the defensive line. And it was just, it was, it was bad, man. So uh, hopefully with this time off and, and I know that they're not uh, doing anything in person, everything is, you know, either by zoom or, or FaceTime or whatever it is right now, hopefully they can start to shore that up and, and figure it out. And uh, cause they got some, they got some dogs as far as games coming up, man. They got some tough ones. Oklahoma state would have been a huge test and would have really shown what kind of team they're going to be. Unfortunately, that got pushed back till December. And uh, the next game that we're supposed to see is in Austin against UT. So uh, we'll see what happens and hopefully they're able out able to get out there and play uh, this damn COVID-19. <laughs> Absolutely. And we'll get, we'll get to that matchup because I, I love Baylor, Texas, man. I love that matchup. But a couple of things based off what you said. One, we, we're learning. Okay, I'm going to defend my boy because he's my boy. We're learning that Sean Bell was not the problem with the offensive line the past two years. Okay, Agreed. I'm just going to get that out there because that guy knows how to coach. Two, I absolutely agree with you. The key to this offense is you got to get Ebner and uh, – 
love it, the ball in space. I mean, those are your best two playmakers on that offense, at least most proven. I mean, who knows what Tyquan and, and all those other receivers can do. The proven guys are those two backs. you got to get them the ball in space. Um, let me take you back a few years. Uh, Baylor had a junior quarterback, Seth Russell, in 2015, slaying, winning every game big. He gets injured. Then we go through just the litany of quarterback injuries to the running back-led offense that was so fun. That was kind of a funny year. Seth Russell comes back in 2016 as a senior. He ends up getting injured later that season. Uh, but throughout that year, everybody kept saying, I, I don't know if you'll remember this, everybody kept saying, he doesn't look right. He doesn't look right. He's not quite pushing the ball like he was last year. Uh, he's not quite as accurate as he was last year. Come on, we know this guy can play what's going on. Uh, turns out, Seth tells me last year, he had a hole in his pectoral muscle that he had no idea was there until after he had retired from football and gotten thoroughly checked out. This feels like deja vu to me. With Charlie Brewer? You got a, a, yeah. You got a senior quarterback who we know can ball. And, and constantly I get on Twitter and there's criticism of him as a passer. And I'm like, this guy can throw the football. He is the most accurate passer in the United States of America high school history. Right. Uh, he, he has never had a cannon, but I have seen him make 40, 50-yard throws down the field accurately. And it feels like Kansas, you know, Baylor dominates the game. You don't look too closely. Against West Virginia, there's all these questions now. Is he hurt? Is it in his head? Uh, is he playing timid? Uh, even when he gets the ball out, it doesn't look like it's coming out with any zip. So, bro, I ask you, in your professional opinion, uh, what's up with Charlie Brewer, and do fans have a legitimate reason to be concerned? I think that there, I think the jury's still out, honestly, on if he's in the right state of mind, if he's, uh, you know, if he's hurt or not, if he's injured. He sounded the part leading into the season. Uh, the multiple times we got to talk to him, he sounded fine. Uh, he sounded like he was in a good spot. But like you mentioned, man, I, I'm glad you brought up that nugget about Seth Russell. Um, you know, the, uh, he didn't know that. Uh, so Charlie Brewer might have something going on that nobody knows about, including himself. Um, you know, he didn't look great against West Virginia at all. But I kind of give him a, a pass when, like I said, he was running for his life. I mean, he was he was on skates the whole game, you know, just trying to trying to keep plays alive. And it's just it's that's not what you want from your quarterback. You want him to be able to have a clean pocket as much as possible. You want him to be able to execute the play the way it's designed and not have to scramble, not have to try to keep it alive. And that's the thing about Charlie Brewer. He doesn't give up. You know, I mean, it's not like, OK, it's not there. I'm just going to, you know, eat it or whatever or get rid of the ball. He's going to try to make something out of nothing. So now all of a sudden he's on the run. Now he's taking unnecessary hits. Now, you know, he's putting the ball in harm's way. It might get turned over. I mean, there's a lot of things that could, could go bad when he starts scrambling. There's a lot of things that could go good, too. He could pick up a lot of yards. He, I mean, he's, he's just a gamer, man. And it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to reel a guy in like that who's a gamer. You know what I mean? It's like it's tough to tell this guy, hey, I don't need you to be as dynamic or or try to keep everything alive i need you just to uh you know protect yourself because every play out there is like the the final play for charlie brewer he wants to win every single play well and what's so frustrating q is you talk about well when he starts scrambling it can be a lot of bad or it can be a lot of good but it feels like whether it's his choice or coaching or probably both if we're being honest it feels like they've handcuffed that good and said we we want to keep you we want to keep you healthy we want you to finish the season no doubt don't go off don't go off running and so then all of a sudden all that good that can happen when he gets loose suddenly feels very limited no doubt about I mean, that you, no doubt yeah so i just i mean tell me this because and and i say tell me this tell the people listening this cuz this drives me crazy there is an attitude on, again, it's on Twitter. You and I are both pretty active there on the on the Baylor sports side of Twitter. Um, there's this attitude of, like, Gary Bohannon is obviously better. Just stick him in there. And it's my opinion that if he was that much better, if he showed something in practice, they'd pull the plug. And you just and, and if you're a new head coach, it's almost easier to say, hey, I'm playing the guys that I think give us the chance to win. But then there's other people that say, well, no, if Aranda, if Aranda pulled Brewer, he'd lose the team because Brewer's this, this kind of you know, winner, leader thing. Um, speak some sense to the people, man. That, like, if, if Bohannon was clearly the guy, they'd make the switch, right? 
Yeah, yeah. It it would it would be no it wouldn't not be a conversation. And Dave Aranda's a brand new head coach, so he could say, "Hey, Charlie Brewer's just not my guy. He doesn't fit with what I want to do." Charlie Brewer gives Baylor the best chance to win. Let's put it like that. Yes. I don't care what anybody yes. else is saying. Gary Bohannon, I I question if he's even a good quarterback. I I don't know. I haven't seen anything. I've seen him run, but I haven't seen him throw the ball with a lot of accuracy. And don't give me the the Big Twelve uh, championship game because I'm telling you, he got a couple ducks that that he threw in the end zone and was completed for touchdowns. And I'm not trying to be you know talk bad on Gary Bohannon, but I haven't seen it. I haven't seen where, okay, this guy is right. going to be the quarterback of the future. Jacob Zeno, in my opinion, throws a really nice ball, but then he's very questionable with some of his decisions he makes, and he can't really get out of harm's way either. And with that shaky offensive line, there's room to grow for both of those guys. Right now, in 2020, Charlie Brewer is the best option for the Baylor Bears. I mean, it's, it's just really, it's not even close. I mean, he's the best guy for the job. He gives him an opportunity to win each and every game that he goes out there, and he's a gamer. Like you said, they pulled the reins on him a little bit and have told him to kind of uh, not do what he does really well, which is not a positive, but at the same time, they're trying to look out for him and his health. At some point, I mean, you just got to let a guy be a guy. I think Richard Sherman said it best, man. I've quoted it so many times. You got to let a tire be a tire and let an engine be an engine. You know, you can't, you can't tell a tire to be an engine. It's just impossible. You know, if, if this is who you are, you just got to go out there and do it. And at some point, Baylor's going to have to look at Charlie Brewer and say, go out there and play your game. You know, this is how we want to execute the plays. This is what we want to do. But this is what we need. We just need you to go out and play. You just need to go out there and play quarterback. As long as you can go out and play quarterback and feel comfortable with it, and we feel like you, you know, you're protecting yourself and you're okay. Cool. Uh, I don't think that it's smart to really have the reins on him because you're taking, you're almost taking a, a piece of the heart from him, and he plays with all his heart. You know what I mean? Like that's what he does. He he's out there giving you everything he's got every single play. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you mentioned that Bryles even when he didn't have elite offensive lines, was able to to create scheme yeah. that made the offense tick, whether the offensive line was just killing it or not. Uh, what do you think this group and Larry Fedora's team here needs to do in order to do the same thing? How can they compensate a little bit? I know you want to run the ball, and that's really hard to do without an offensive line. It just is. But how do they compensate maybe for some of those weaknesses uh, in the weeks ahead to give that offense a better chance at success? You know, I think it really goes back to what we talked about earlier, and that's using uh, Tristan Ebner and John Lovett in the passing game. You know, uh, some of those short passes are like glorified runs, in my opinion. You know, and if you can get the balls to those guys and, and they can make things happen in space and maybe make a guy miss here and there, maybe some more bubble screens, maybe some more, you know, wide receiver screens. I know that's wide receiver, but, I mean, just more stuff like that, shorter passes that could just get them in a, in a prime position to make a play. You make one guy miss, you're picking up 10, 15 yards or whatever. You know, it's just stuff like that. You just got to get creative. That's that's just what it is, you know. And Larry Fedora, we've only seen two games. That's that's the problem. It's been so much stop and go with COVID nineteen, you know. And, and there's no, we didn't see any, uh, you know, non conference games. So now it's all been, you know, just Kansas and West Virginia. And that's it. Houston would have been a great test. I was looking forward to that game because they're they're a team that could play. They can get out there and play. That game didn't happen. You know, La Tech. I thought that would have been a good test. That game didn't happen. You know, incarnate word, whatever. You know, it's Kansas South or Kansas North, whatever it is. And not, not, no disrespect to anyone who might have gone to incarnate word, but they're just not very good. I mean, it's just being, it's just the honest opinion. So, you know, Kansas wasn't a test at all. <clears throat> Excuse me. Kansas wasn't a test at all. And um, we'll see what happens moving forward. But yeah, they got to find a way to get some production from the running backs, whether it's directly as, as, a, as a run or if it's a short pass that's a glorified run. Either way, you've got to find a way to scheme up some good offense, regardless of how good your offensive line is. you just got to do it, even though that offensive line needs to step up and get better. Yeah, definitely a, a complaint I heard and absolutely agree with from that West Virginia game is we, you didn't throw Ebner the ball enough, and I, I absolutely agree with that. So speaking of Charlie Brewer, uh, you know, his old high school rival, Sam Ellinger, uh, and Texas, once again, probably not as good as people think. I don't know how many years in a row we're going to rank Texas top 10 in the preseason and watch them be mediocre over and over and over before people just get it. Like The logo it. does like, it. They're, they're <laughs> just mediocre, dude. And I, I saw uh, I saw a tweet earlier this week that I loved. It was like, Sam Ellinger and Charlie Burr are the same dude. Changed my mind. Like Very similar guys in terms of – of heart and maybe not quite as 
you know, with with Ellinger, it might be accuracy. With Brewer, it might be arm strength. I don't know, but not quite as polished as you wanted to be in the passing game. But great runners, great leaders of their football teams, and we're going to pretend like this matchup in two Saturdays is going to happen against UT. And I've been calling it all year. I say if Baylor wants to be the team they want to be this season, uh, they got to beat Texas and Austin. Like that's a game you have to win. You think they're two pretty evenly matched teams. I, I do not think Texas is that good. I've just I've never bought into the hype. I think it's a winnable game. How do you look at that matchup? Honestly, I think that Baylor has a puncher's chance in any game just because of the strength of their defense. I mean, really, their defense, I think, is that good. I think Ron Roberts is doing an exceptional job as a defensive coordinator coming into a new, you know, a new team and, and bringing his system in and not making it too complicated so these guys don't struggle to pick it up. I think Ron Roberts has done a great job. And obviously, Coach Aranda being defensive-minded as well, he's helped out as, as well, but he's the CEO of the whole team. Uh, so I think that they're in this game because of that defense. I'm very curious on how their offense is going to perform. You know, uh, Texas has shown that their defense could be very leaky and they can allow uh, they can allow runners to get off, including quarterbacks. I mean, they, they're in shootouts with everybody each and every week, just about, you know, losing games each and every week. You saw what happened in the Red River rivalry against Oklahoma, saw what happened against uh, Texas Tech. I mean, they... They're, they very easily could be like over, you know, over the, the season. They're, they just haven't played that well. So, uh, yeah, I think Baylor absolutely has a shot. Their offense just has to show up. I mean, again, I think that's the biggest issue for Baylor right now is, is their offense going to show up? Is Larry Fedora's offense going to show up? And this is the one thing I'll, I'll say, and it was a criticism when Larry Fedora got hired, everyone that's a Baylor fan remembers – Larry Fedora's head coach team when when North Carolina lost in what was that the Citrus Bowl out there in uh, in Florida when Browse didn't even have a quarterback he, he was doing all the run game it was all basically all Wildcat or whatever they were calling it Wild Bear and ran all over ran all over Larry Fedora and his offense didn't look very good either and I mean Baylor just blew those cats out the water everyone goes back to that and says well there's nothing impressive from Larry Fedora's offense that game against uh, against Baylor and I agree. So I've been waiting and trying to give him the benefit of the doubt and saying, hey, let me see your offense be really good. Let me see it be successful. Let me see you get your guys in, in, in good position to make plays. Tyquan Thornton hasn't really showed up yet this year. I thought he was going to have a big year from the wide receiver position, and it's only been two games. And that's, I hate that I have to you know asterisk everything with that. It's only been two games, but that's what it is. But I haven't seen Tyquan Thornton show up yet, and I was that was a guy I was expecting that was going to have a big year uh, in this offense, and it just it hasn't happened yet. So hopefully, um, and maybe maybe against uh, uh, UT in Austin, maybe that'll be his breakout game. Uh, they're going to need him that game, but that offense has got to click, man. It's got to be a lot better than it's been so far. Hey, let's let's talk about this, man. This is the first time I've mentioned this to somebody, but I'm curious again since you're in Waco and and probably closer to the team than a lot of the people I talk to. You've got this year that's already been weird with COVID and Baylor obviously having its own issues and having to cancel a few games now and and just hoping we can play most of the rest of our schedule. You've got the opportunity for seniors to come back. And I somebody asked me earlier like how does that affect scholarships and who you offer when you don't know like Charlie Brewer uh maybe they find out that he's got an issue with his shoulder and they can patch it up and uh, oh I want to come back and play play a real senior year um maybe John Lovett is told man you're like a sixth round grade right now if you come back and play a full season and and just wreck people maybe you'll be a second round grade and he says ah maybe I need to come back how do you how do you think Baylor and I know we're jumping the gun a little bit but how do you think that's going to shake out? And and who are some guys, Jared Atkinson, you know, who are some guys that might end up jumping back in next season for Baylor? Man, that's a great question. And when they made that ruling and made that announcement that that was uh, going to be all good for the NCAA for this 2020 season, I honestly, and I know a lot of players like it and love it. I've heard Coach Aranda say he thought it was a great idea. It was something that uh, should happen. I don't understand it. I don't, I mean, I, I understand it. I don't understand it to the point where it makes sense to me. I don't think that if you play a bunch of games this year or if you have guys that are freshmen and they play all season long, it's basically like they all redshirted anyway. You know what I mean? I just – I don't know. I think it screws up uh, the whole dynamic of your team as far as your scholarships, like you mentioned, bringing guys on. I think it messes it up. It makes a log jam for multiple years. And then coaches have to make tough decisions, you know? Are you coming back? Are you coming back? Hey, look, it's been great. But I can't really have you come back. I mean, there's a lot of questions, and I'll make it even more personal for myself. My son is a senior in high school right now in California. 
who and he plays basketball. He's a really good basketball uh, player. He's a six four uh, shooting guard. You know, I mean, he's, he's got skills. He's got a uh, he's got a scholarship offer to UTEP right now. The coaches have told me, Q, I don't know if they're going to have a spot for him next year because, well, the whole team could come back if they want. And if they all come back, where do we put them? Plus, we want them to play. So he might end up having to go to like a junior college or something else. And this is not just alone for him. I mean, this is everybody. You know, where are these guys that, that are expected to be big-time players? What if they all of a sudden find out, hey, I'm not going to be able to play this year or I'm not going to get, you know, on the field like I thought I was because, well, the guy in front of me at the left tackle position decided he wants to come back or the running back wants to come back. What does that leave for me? And these guys all, all want to play, man. So I think that there's going to see it be a lot of moving and shaking. A lot of uh, teams are going to see guys transfer. And now the NCAA looks like they're on the verge of allowing a one-year transfer or a one-time transfer without a penalty of sitting out. I think you're going to see a mass exodus across – not just Baylor, but I think everywhere because of this this uh, decision that, that they said it's okay for them to have a uh, basically a whole another year. It's like a mulligan, you know. It's like almost like this is like a a, a whole preseason. Now we'll just run this, yeah. you know. It's like a practice run. We'll do it again next year. Someone joked with me, you know, Squirrel Williams is going to come back next year and be a fourth year redshirt freshman. Right. Exactly. You know. Yeah. Well, thanks for that sharing about your son man i knew he was a good player i didn't realize he was a senior potentially scholarship from utah that's crazy man and uh you're right it's not just like it is i i mean maybe there's one or two guys that it could really benefit you know for them to come back and i know nobody wants a senior year that's like eight games and and all screwy but man this this is this is sending ripples and I don't think you're wrong i think people are gonna there's gonna be movement like we've never seen in college athletics for sure for sure Look, I'll uh, tell you like this, man. If I'm a if I'm a, a big time wide receiver and I'm just a big time wide receiver on the collegiate level and I don't have a chance to go into the NFL, you know, it's like, hey, that guy's really good, but he's not NFL quality. If I can have another year to go and continue to do what I love doing, unless I got some major opportunity in front of me, why wouldn't I come back? Right. Well, yeah, and that's uh, from their perspective. I mean, their senior year's been then just just ruined. And yeah, man, I, I completely agree with you guys. Like, you know, I I think of Chris Platt fighting to come back last year with that medical red shirt just because he wants to keep playing. Man, you just I mean, of course you do. You want to play football as long as you want to play as long as you can. Yep. That's right. I, so I totally get it. But also, I totally get like I I cover high school football here, and you know, there's seniors here that their senior year has already been badly disrupted. Even though fortunately here, most of them are getting to play most of their games. But now you're saying, okay, if, if you're a college prospect, you, not only is your senior year in high school getting disrupted, but where you're going to school could change. Uh, what your playing situation looks like your freshman year could change. It's just, it's just crazy, man. This whole thing's been a mess. Man, what do you know about, about the way Baylor's been handling the COVID stuff? I think that's a natural question people would ask. Like, why are there so many cases? Is Baylor just being more transparent? Is Baylor being more strict? Is the contact tracing just overboard, man? Um, what do you know about the way Baylor's been handling it and, and why there's been so many um, issues? Well, I, I've been really commending Baylor for everything they've been doing because up until this real bad breakout that they have now that they're currently under, they've been doing really good. You know, every week we get the email from Baylor Athletics saying, you know, how many cases, uh, how many active, how many asymptomatic, how many symptomatic, all that. I mean, fully detailed. And it's been really, really good numbers. So I've been appreciative of what they've been doing. I thought that they were all doing the right thing. And apparently this this last case, and, and this is really according to Mac Rhodes, is that, hey, um, you know, there was a guy that apparently got on the plane and he was tested and it was a, a, a false negative. So really he was positive, but he tested negative and then he got around everybody. And so now, I mean, 28 players uh, coming down with it and they have symptoms. I mean, they're symptomatic, you know, 28 of them. And then 14 uh, staff members. I mean, that's just that's unbelievable, but that's how quick it can happen. And I don't think there's any sure shot way of, of making it work where you don't have any cases. You know, I've heard some people say, well, wouldn't it have been better to get them all in a room and let them get it early in the summer? And I think that's silly. I get the idea and the gist of it, but I think it's kind of silly to, to say that just because you don't want anyone to get it. But, uh, you know, it's just, it's strange. And I think that they've done a good job for the most part, but this last outbreak, man, has really hurt them. And, you know, obviously put the Oklahoma State game on the back burner. And then now looking forward to Texas, I'm thinking the game's going to get played, but it all depends on how everything goes. And if these guys get better, and if these guys heal up and if they pass these tests and if they're good and, you know, if Baylor's confident in moving forward. But I think that they've done just as good a job as anyone else in the country. It's just hit them with that, with that false negative. And that's a chance that 
all these programs take. That's what the chances the NFL takes. All these, you know, everyone's taking that is playing sports. That that could happen to anybody. They can all have a false negative, and then all of a sudden, uh, it's been three or four positives, and then you have an outbreak. And and so, uh, you know, kudos to them and big ups to them for at least recognizing it, seeing that they had a major problem, and shutting it down immediately, and saying, "Hey, we don't want to go any further. We want to try to nip it in the bud right now." And and if they do, then great. But you know, it's just it's just a process, man. Yeah, and Florida announcing this week, you know, obviously that they've they've had an outbreak as well. So you're right, it can happen anywhere. You know, but if Baylor learned anything, I mean, let's just be honest. If Baylor learned anything four and five years ago, it's to be transparent and upfront. And I'd rather see this than hear after the fact, oh, they played a game even though there were these two guys that positive tests and whatnot. So definitely a good look for Baylor and Mac Rhodes and, and all that coming off of what happened a few years ago. Well, man, I've asked everybody this question, and I hate that I still ask this question, but we've only played two games, so it's still an appropriate question. At some point, we'll have four and five games under the belt, and it, and it won't really be a question anymore. But you're one and one. Yeah, you won your home game. You lost your road game. You've still got, hopefully, the whole Big 12 slate in front of you, and the Big 12 wide open this year. I mean... There is not one team that's just going to run away with it. Even Oklahoma State uh, struggled putting Tulsa away, right, in their first game. So all these teams are vulnerable. Oklahoma just having a ridiculously off uh, start to their season. What is success for Baylor on the field this year? Oh, man, that's a really good question. Um, I just... Man, that's a really good question. Um, I don't expect him to win the Big 12. Let's put it like that. I, I think that, Absolutely, you know, yeah. I think offensively, uh, they're, they're just taking a step back right now and, and they're trying to find themselves and they're trying to learn their way. Uh, but I, I feel like if they're out there and they're competing each and every game, they're, they're putting out that, that really good effort. Uh, I think the defense has already been a success just from what I saw in Morgantown. I was very impressed by that. I mean, again, that's my go-to every time I talk about Baylor is the defense. Uh, as long as they go out there and they compete, and they, uh, you know, they're they're in every game. They're not getting blown out. They're not getting embarrassed. Uh, they're not pulling to Kansas or anything where they're just getting, you know, just laughed off the field or anything. Um, I expect them to be, you know, third, maybe fourth in the in the Big Twelve. You know, I think Oklahoma State ultimately going to win it. Uh, Texas is a big question. Oklahoma's a huge question. So uh, I can see them sneaking into the number three spot. I can see them being number four, anywhere in that little range, like three to five. Uh, they could be in that in the Big 12 range, depending on how these games go, how these games get played, what order they get played in. You know, I mean, just if I if, if Baylor was playing Oklahoma State this weekend, I would say that Baylor's going to lose the game. But with them playing at the end of the season, if it happens, I, it could be a whole different ball game. You know, I mean, then you all of a sudden you've gone through the whole Big 12 slate, and now you got this team at the end of the schedule, and who knows what position they'll be in, who knows what they'll be looking at, and just so many things could happen. So the, the order of the games is, is important as well. So I can see them uh, being anywhere from like that three to five slot. And I think that that's a very successful first year for Dave Aranda, especially, especially I, with COVID-19, just getting out a year out of the year with COVID-19. I think that that's a success in itself. <laughs> that's right. Well, hey, you, you bring up a great point. I definitely agree with you. It helps Baylor tremendously that your next game, hopefully, is Texas, who, again, is just mediocre, struggling again, coming off two losses rather than Oklahoma State, which does look like the best team in the conference right now. Well, man, tell everybody one more time. I know you already said it at the top, but tell everybody one more time where they can catch you on the daily, and then I'll let you get out of here because I appreciate your time. I know you got stuff to go do. Yeah, you can find me every single day, noon to 3, on ESPN Central Texas uh, with Ward White and Steven Simcox. Those are my co-hosts. We uh, hold it down every day. And then uh, I do the Locked On Raiders podcast every single day. So if you happen to want to dibble and dabble in some uh, Raiders conversation, you can check that out. You can find it on my Twitter account, at your boy Q254, or anywhere you find podcasts, like this great podcast that we're on today. Uh, you can find it all, all over the place. And then uh, I also do Raider Nation Radio 920 in Las Vegas, 4 to 6 p.m. Uh, Central Time. Uh, in the city of Las Vegas talking more Raiders. So, uh, yeah, you'll find me somewhere being busy. You might see me on a high school sideline uh, doing some Temple Wildcat football. I mean, you'll find me anywhere. Anywhere there's something going on, I'm probably around there. So there it is. Tim Watkins from Bears Illustrated joins me now. I'm please bear with me and forgive me for the audio quality here. My interface, of course, chooses to bug out on me right as I'm getting Tim in here. Uh, but, Tim, it's good to have you back. Texas, this Saturday, what do you think is going to happen, man? What are we doing? 
Well, I, I think right now there's going to be a game. I, I think that's first and foremost. Now, the question is what version of Baylor will we see? We, we pretty much know what we're going to see from Texas. They're uh, offensive heavy. They're the, the top scoring uh, team in the nation right now. Averaging uh, 49 and a half points per game. Sam Ellinger, I know your opinions of him, <laughs> um, but but he is productive this year so far. Um, they've got two losses. They're coming off back-to-back losses uh, against TCU and Oklahoma. You know, they've been in two massive shootouts with the Sooners with multiple overtimes. They've got a lot of big game, tough game experience while Baylor has played two games and hasn't played in three weeks. And we don't know who's really going to be available. Uh, it, it, I think all of the questions really should be related to Baylor. Who's healthy? Who is it had been in conditioning? Um, who's going to be rejoining the team on Wednesday and get maybe a practice and a half and be limited in number of snaps or roles? Uh, who's been a full participant and able to do a lot of things on and off the field in preparation? Uh, there, there's just a lot of question marks. Um, honestly, you know, Texas is a, it, it's an interesting team. They're a team in turmoil. They are a team with, I think most would assume, a lame duck head coach if they lose another game or two. Um, the the Mensa mastermind has been too busy scouring uh, BearsIllustrated.com and, and Our Daily Bears and all the other Baylor websites trying to find a morsel of truth hidden in the layers and layers of BS that we've all been probably posting on the board. I know I have. Um, to try and find a morsel to give him any type of competitive advantage. And, um, you know, eyes of Texas uh, issues, the, the athletic department saying one thing, players and coaches are saying different things. Um, he's got all new coordinators. None of that seems to have worked, especially on the defensive side of the ball. It's a mess there. Uh, but they at least have played twice as many games as Baylor. They know most likely who's going to be available. They have reps and they know kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly of the team. While Baylor, we we still got quite a few question marks about a lot of things when it comes to who, what, when, where, and why we're going to see on Saturday. Yeah, and you hit a lot of the talking points I wanted to get to, man. So I'm just going to take them one by one. You know, I had this game circled preseason as a must-win for Baylor. And, of course, I assumed that meant we'd have a non-con and an Oklahoma State game in by now. So the experience you just talked about this season, two games for Baylor versus four for Texas, definitely a factor here. I do not understand the Sam Ellinger thing. I don't get it. I heard Joel Klatt just a couple weeks ago say he's a legitimate NFL prospect. I don't get it. I don't see it. To me, he is he is not much different than Charlie Brewer. He stayed a little more healthy as of late. <laughs> um, uh, but come on, man. Tell me about Sam Ellinger and this offense. And to his credit, he has kept them in those games uh, that they did end up losing in both cases. But, you know, uh, is he that good, Tim? And tell me what we're looking for from this offense. Especially, like, let's give Baylor's defense credit. That unit is strong. Yeah, Baylor's defense, you know, everybody's saying coming into the season, losing nine starters on the defensive side of the balls. I mean, I, I sat here in the, the season preview podcast saying, you know, we've got a lot of questions about the defense, but I think we've got a lot of questions answered on the offense. And the exact opposite is kind of laid out in the first two games. The Kansas game, you know, we all chalked had a game. Receivers, you know, Tyquan Thornton didn't have a single pass, had one target against Kansas. You know, West Virginia, they've got a dominant uh, defensive line. It was the first game for three of their senior starters on the offensive line. A lot of mixing and masks, uh, uh, matching on personnel, not a lot of gelling, so to speak. So a lot of excuses and a lot of reasons why the offense hasn't worked for the Bears, but it hasn't. You know, going back to your point on Sam Ellinger, go, I, I think, I think he's a good quarterback. For the college game. I think his arm strength is better than Charlie Brewer's. I think he is a more physical runner and he's more able to survive the punishment due to the added 20, 25 pounds. He's got a little bit more heft in him. Um, Accuracy, he's not even close. Decision making, he's not even close. Um, But he has a better arm strength. Now, is that arm strong enough to be a day one or day two quarterback in the NFL draft? I don't I don't see it. I, I don't. Um, I, I think he's a lesser version of Tim Tebow in a lot of ways, 
when it comes to arm talent. He's probably more accurate. He's a physical power runner, but he's probably the dumpster man's version of Tim Tebow when it comes to the power running game. He is not even that. Do not ever put Sam Ellinger in a comparison sentence to Tim Tebow ever again. Ever. I'll put it this way. I am sick. (laughs) I said that hoping that was going to be your response. You got me. The reason I say that is the power running aspect of it. I do think Ellinger is a strong running threat. Uh, from the quarterback position, against, he does run against the QB Baylor's power game defense. Well. Against Baylor's defense, you think he's going to be able to run on? No, no, I don't. Uh, I, I don't. Um, I, I think the Bears' defense, especially the linebacker uh, uh, Dylan Doyle, Terrell, Terrell Bernard, uh, Ashton Logan, Jalen Petrie, uh, they they will be able to keep keep him in the pocket and make him beat them with his arm. Um, they've got some developing wide receiver talent. They're going to miss Jordan Whittington this weekend. Um, that's a big loss for them from a possession receiver standpoint, a guy that can make some things happen after the tackle. But, you know, they've got a lot of highly regarded guys. And for some reason, they're always young. I, I don't understand the youth problem that Texas has had year after year after year. Quite honestly, it sounds like the Baylor offensive line problem where we're always young for some reason. Like, wait, we have three senior starters. How are we young guys? Now are we inexperienced (laughs) working together? Uh, Do we know how they work together? No, that's a different conversation for a different day. But Texas has always been perpetually young everywhere at the skill player position. They've been young on defense and they're still young somehow, you know, you have Jordan Whittington, you have Keontae Ingram, you have Joshua Moore. They've got a bunch of four and five star guys that have just from a skill position standpoint have been, eh, they're, they're okay. I mean, they're okay. They're, they're kind of like Ellinger. They're, they're okay. Um, you know, I, I, I would put Ellinger, you know, the, the last best version of Charlie Brewer we saw, which in my opinion was the Oklahoma state game last year. I would take that Charlie Brewer over Sam Ellinger. The Charlie Brewer that we've seen since then, um, I would probably take Ellinger over him because of the arm strength, the ability to push the ball down the field. Um, And I think we saw that a lot against West Virginia. Um, You're you're talking about the wheel route uh, that he threw to, I think it was Ebner Lovett, I can't remember which. That was just an easy interception. Uh, I I was re-watching the game a little bit. And it it was a nice read by the defensive back. But there was no zip on that ball. He didn't push the ball down the field. The running back was probably going to have to stop to catch it rather than throwing it over his left shoulder and having him walk into the end zone. Um, You're you're, you're seeing Travis Roeder did a lot of stuff online about his ability to get the ball out outside of the hashes, um, get the balls outside the numbers, and really stretch the team vertically or the defense vertically. And he's missing a half a second to a quarter a second on every single one of those balls. And that gets your receiver hit. That makes a three to five yard gain, a no yard gain. That makes a 10 yard gain, a four yard gain. And I mean, Ellinger's fine. He's a fine quarterback. I, I think he's, he's getting the benefit of playing in the big 12, playing a spread offense, even though in my opinion, they should be trusting him more to pass the ball um, rather than keep running him. Um, it he's just fine. It's fine. I mean, there's lots of quarterbacks I would take over him, and there's lots of quarterbacks I I take him over. But he's not a Heisman contender. He's not a first round draft choice. He's a. I mean, maybe Colt McCoy is probably his ceiling as a quarterback in the NFL, and that's probably million times best case scenario. I'm about I don't to pull my hair out again. I'm about to pull my hair out again. He's well, not again, Colt McCoy I'm, either. Look, he's he's a guy that might have might play in a couple of games, not embarrass himself and turn that into an eight year career of being a backup and never playing again. That's no, kind of his ceiling. No, he's me. he's Nathan Peterman, dude. He's gonna go Ooh. to he's gonna go to the NFL and throw four picks a game in the very few games he gets a chance to start. Okay, I'm over it. I'm over it, Tim. I'm moving on. I've drawn you offside so well tonight. Yeah, <laughs> you're getting my goats, dude. It's bad. But, hey, no. No, no, no. He's not that good. Uh, Baylor's defense is going to knock his head off this Saturday. I'm ready for that. I I do want to talk more about Baylor's offense. Before I do that, 
my friend Michael Bartlemay aptly said, uh, Baylor is living rent-free in Tom Herman's head. The fact that they are scouring message boards. I mean, dude, okay, like, this is a program that has consistently underperformed since Colt McCoy took them to the national championship game, okay? Don't slander Colt McCoy's name by putting Sam Ellinger in that boat, all right? So this program, I mean, let's be honest about what the Texas program has been. They have been a mediocre college football program for 12 years running. They've not been that great. Come on. If Baylor gets the win this Saturday, Herman's gone. Come on, let's I, let's get fired up over here, dude. I, I actually agree with that. Um, in a uh, a Q and A with uh, Taylor Esses, who runs the uh, the Texas uh, site, that's a question I asked. Uh, simply put, I was like, if if Tom Herman loses this week and falls a two and three, and and suffers another loss to Baylor, that's gotten better coaches than him fired at the University of Texas, and. Is it likely? She hasn't res- responded to the question. I, I, I'm in very intrigued with her response. Um, but the the image of Nathan Fillion just holding his head and being completely confused by everything just sums up the tweet from uh, Horns 24-7 where Herman admitted that he was scouring message boards. It, it's... He... He's too smart for his own good. It's just, it the Mensa man has lost it. Um, I, I think he's he did everything he could to try and justify and save his job this offseason, um, doing a wholesale changes on the offensive and defensive coordinator, um, really changing a lot of key position coaches to to better himself. And really, this is a worse version of last year's Texas team. I think their offense was better equipped last year and their defense was a whole lot better. I mean, their defense is garbage right now. Baylor has played a bad Kansas uh, uh, defense and they played what I think is probably a top 10 to 15 defense in West Virginia. West Virginia is a good defense. They're, they're very well coached. I'm a big Neil Brown fan. Uh, I I think him and the Kansas state coach, Chris Kleinman are, are the two, better hires out of that group. I, I haven't seen enough from, from, from tech in Kansas to be able to say those guys are going to make it more than another year or so. But Neil Brown has done a really, really good job at West Virginia. They have a great program when it comes to the defense and they do a lot of things that match up poorly with Baylor. We saw that last year on Halloween night where a better Baylor team needed a blocked field goal and a Taekwon Thornton third or fourth down heave at the end of the game to escape. So there's no shame in going into Morgantown against a better West Virginia team and a lesser version of, of last year's Baylor team and losing in double overtime. There's problems if, if Baylor cannot put points up on this Texas defense. They're bad. They're bad. They're poorly coached. They have bad schemes. They're bad. That's exactly it's a bad defense. That's exactly where I was going next, man. I mean, if you're Baylor and and you have all these questions on the offensive side of the ball, and look, I mean, you heard what Seth Russell said a couple weeks ago. Seth Russell said, "Y'all don't know anything." But then there's all these people who I think know a little bit of something that are like, "This is a problem," right? I mean, um, if you're Baylor, there's not a better opportunity to bounce back from that West Virginia performance than against this Texas defense that struggles, struggles, like you said. Let's assume Baylor's defense continues to play lights out and perform up to snuff. Let's say Ashton Logan's back. You know, I thought we missed him against West Virginia quite a bit. Most of those guys are healthy and in there. I think you can easily hold this Texas. I know they've been, they've scored. They're, they're scoring. We hold them to 21. 24. Can Baylor's offense put up 24-30 on this Texas defense? I think so. Um, It'll probably take a couple of turnovers and having a positive turnover margin, uh, which is something that they did very well. And really, I think the reason why Baylor was even in that game against West Virginia was Terrell Bernard continuing to be a magnet for big plays and turnovers. Um, You saw Baylor really be effective defensively with 
multiple looks from defenders blitzing. And I think that causes confusions for Ellinger uh, based on the tape that I've seen. He's not very good when it's just a four-man defensive line blitz. Great. He knows exactly where everybody is. He knows maybe there's a blitzer coming off the edge. Great. He can hit the hot route. But what happens in a zone coverage? What happens in a fire zone? Um, what happens if we back off one Bradley King or bring Ashton Logan and put one of the defensive ends out? That's where Ellinger, to me, has made mistakes in his reads, both in the run game and the pass game. Um it's going to take some turnover look and you always going into Austin, you know, you need to be 10 points better than Texas because the refs are going to give them some breaks. Um, that's just a fact of life. And any Baylor fan that's going to be sitting here on Sunday or Monday saying we got hosed by the refs if and when and how it happens. Um, you have nobody to blame but yourself for not setting that expectation beforehand. It's happened pretty much every time Baylor hasn't destroyed Texas in Austin, the few times that that's happened, you know, inter obvious interceptions overturned, weird holding calls, anything under the sun, you have to expect it going into Austin. Um, this is not a new thing. So Baylor has to be 10 points better than them. They have to get a little bit of a turnover break. And I, I want to see Tyquan Thornton break a big one. Uh, I want to see RJ Sneed take a 15 yard pass, make a guy miss and take it to the house. We need a big, we need some big plays in this offense. Uh, I think we've struggled offensively at times because we're, we're taking a 10, 12, 15 play drive and asking the offensive line not to commit a penalty, asking the running backs not to miss a block, asking a tight end not to drop a pass, asking a wide receiver to run the right route. We have to be perfect for eight, 10, 15 plays to get a touchdown. We need a one or two play drive. We're going to have to have that. We're going to have to have Treston Ebner make a guy miss and get a 60-yard play. We're going to have to make some big plays happen on the offensive side of the ball to get some quick scores. I think it's a mistake to trust what we've seen from the Baylor offense to effectively grind out six to eight-minute drives consistently. We maybe have one or two in us. That's it. Best case. So I think big plays are going to be a big thing to watch from the Baylor offense, turnover margin, and then hope the mess at Texas kind of plays in your favor because that's a mess right now there. There's infighting, there's arguing, there's bickering. Um, it's not a happy-go-lucky uh, uh, Austin like it ever is, but it's not a good mojo right now. They don't have it right now. They're coming off two losses. A third loss is how you lose a team. If they can bounce back and win, maybe Tom Herman can save his job, but then you get to the point, do the players want to save his job? Are the players in it for the team or for themselves? We've seen those issues play out negatively for Texas fans in the past. We'll see that, I think, in the first quarter pretty easily uh, uh, Saturday if this is a team that still wants to play together and win and save their coach's job. Man, that's a huge factor I didn't even think about you know, is, is the psyche of this Texas team going in. Uh, frankly, the psyche of the Baylor team. Uh, I mean, so let, uh, real quickly, uh, does it help or hurt Baylor that you've had two weeks, two Saturdays off since that drumming? I say drumming in Morgantown. Lost in double overtime, but felt kind of like a drumming after you did what you did to Kansas, right? I mean, does it help or hurt Baylor? To have that rest, you know, in between. The, the, the Pollyanna would sit here and say, you know, it's great. Baylor got healthy. Charlie Brewer got his arm right. Baylor's able to get on the practice field and gel everything. I, I don't buy it. I don't. It's a, <laughs> it's a negative to me. It's, it's a negative because for half that time or more than half that time, the program was shut down. Players couldn't even get reps together and, and get together. Will we be healthier? Yes. Will our conditioning be right? I, I don't know. Will we have some of the same miscommunications on the offensive line because three of the guys have only played a game together. Um, one guy showed up two weeks before the game started. You know, we've got a lot of, of players that are very young in their Baylor career, even though they're upperclassmen. Um, they don't have a lot of reps together. And that offensive line is always a tricky thing. It's a living organism. It, it, all five have to be locked in step, really communicating, really driving together. And the only way to do that is to practice together, 
to play together. And Baylor hasn't had those opportunities. So I, I'd love to sit here and spin it. It's, it's a positive. I can leave that to the other people. I'm normally a glass has full, half full guy. I, I, I don't see it. It's a negative. Baylor's been in two games. It'll be three weeks to the day since they last played. Texas is much more battle-tested. Uh, they have their conditioning down. They haven't had upwards of 30 to 40 players out, uh, not being able to do any team activities and team events. We don't know how many players are coming back Wednesday, uh, though the bulk of the team should be re- uh, should be back with the group on Wednesday is what we're told. We don't know. So I, I, I think it's a negative, but um, – We'll we'll just have to see how good this coaching staff can get the players on the same page. And and I feel more confident about Coach Aranda and his staff getting a Baylor team all on the same page and working together towards the same goal than I am in a Texas under uh, under Herman and his group of mercenary coaches that he just met four months ago being able to get themselves all on the same page. So I, I am confident in that, but there's still a lot of negatives and questions related to, to a three-week app. All right. So what's going to happen? Tell us. Be it, <sighs> I, I, I am a pastor. I am commissioning you to be a prophet. What's going on on Saturday, Tim? Man, I really wish I knew who had conditioning. <laughs> if, if, if we see, so sources told me this offseason that it was mainly the offensive line and offense that struggled with COVID and tracing testing late in fall camp going into the season. That means most of them were probably cleared and were not susceptible to another positive test or contact tracing. That would likely mean, and I'm fully 100% assuming here, I have no sources or information on this. That worries me because that means the bulk of the players that could have been missing time are on the defensive side of the ball. That's okay with me. I'm not worried about them. I, I, if if they are if they aren't physically ready to play, if we're missing eight or nine starters that are are that can only go about twenty snaps, if Terrell Bernard can't go out there and give a hundred percent, I start getting a little worried because Texas is a good offense. They're going to put some points on the Bears. Um, if, especially if Baylor isn't playing their first string defense and if the defense isn't hit and if we see the defense that we saw against Kansas, the lineup that we saw against Kansas, um, not the performance, but the lineup that we saw against Kansas, I I think Baylor can win. And I, I think you're right. I think it's a lower scoring game. I think if either team gets above 30 to 35 points, it's probably not a good thing for Baylor. I think if it's an under 30-point winner, Baylor probably wins that game. Um, So if I had to bet, I love the 10.5-point spread that I saw. Um, I would take Baylor on that all day. All day. Now, give me the Bears, but it's a close one. It's not going to be comfortable. We're all going to hate each other You homer. There's still going to be questions. I'm a homer. What can I say? I'm not going to sit here on your podcast after insulting you with the the words of Tim Tebow and Colt McCoy and pick against the Bears. That's three strikes and I'm out. So (laughs) give me the Bears in a low-scoring game, defensive grudge match. Baylor keeps it close to the first three quarters and – the ingredient in the recipe that won so many games last year happens again. And make no mistake, Baylor almost beat West Virginia playing that model. But Charlie Brewer, end of the game, fourth quarter, down a, a score, what does he do? He drives down not only one time and scores a touchdown that they should have had, he does it a second time too. If Baylor is in that situation, and I think they will be, I think they do enough to win a close one. Mm. I'm going to tell you right now, Colt McCoy and Tim Tebow are two of my favorite college quarterbacks ever. I know. Those guys were awesome. Awesome. Sam Ellinger is going to turn the ball over three times. Calling my shot. I will bet on that before I will bet on the game. Sam Ellinger. I agree. Over. I agree with that. If the over-under is at two and a half, I'm taking the over. He's going to turn it over. Riley Tejada is going to get a pick. Ooh, I like that. Terrell Bernard's going to knock the ball out on a sack. It's going to happen. Okay. I, I'm going to I'm going to call a Ashton Logan interception. I think. That's Come on. I, 
I, I have I have him, and then uh, JT Woods would be my second bet. And I have JT Woods, long time saying he's going to lead the team in a, in interceptions this year. I think he's one of the better playmakers Baylor has on either side of the ball. Um, he's going to get four or five interceptions this year. He got one against West Virginia. I think he might get a second uh, against the ever-so-gifting Sam Ellinger. There we go. Now you're talking, Tim. Now you're talking. I got you back on my side now. Hey, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you this right now. I'm going to tell you this right now. Maybe you didn't know this, Tim, because I've never heard this talked about before. But Charlie Brewer has some relatives who played quarterback at the University of Texas. What? I know. When? I, when where is that I, news? Man, it was a shock to me too when I read it deep in the notes this week. Okay, that guy is going to shut all y'all up. I'm t- telling you right I now. I so. I'm telling you right now, he's going to throw for about 200 yards, 70% completion percentage, three touchdowns, and you're all going to shut your mouth. You're all going to shut your mouth. I'm calling it. Charlie Brewer is back. It's going to be great. He's going to beat Ellinger, make him look silly. He's going to end Tom Herman's career, and Baylor gets out of Austin with a win. And Dave Aranda looks at his old roommate and says, sorry about you. Kind of like Matt Rule said to Cliff Kingsbury just a couple of years ago. And look how that worked out for Cliff. He's doing great. <laughs> hey, maybe maybe, maybe Tom can be the next uh, coach for the Cowboys in a few years. Tim? <laughs> that was your strike I'm, three. That was I'm your, a Niners fan, so I'm rooting for that. That was your strike three. <laughs> that would be hell on earth. All right. All right, Tim Watkins, everybody. It's 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 been a good time, man. Any any final words before I let you go? Uh just just always sick and bears. Hey, we're gonna get out of here. Thanks so much for joining us on this week's edition of Please Bear With Me. Hope you enjoyed it. The Please Bear With Me theme and transition music is brought to you by Iron Kids. Check out Iron Kids anywhere you stream music. Thanks to Tim Watkins and Baylor247 for making this possible. My name's been Scotty Swingler. This is Please Bear With Me. See you next week.